Welcome to the First Naz Podcast. It's Easter Sunday and we're celebrating a risen Savior. Let's listen in as Pastor Paul preaches about an Easter faith from Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 through 10. Well, good morning, good morning. I am in uh, the book of Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 28, if you'd like to open your Bible and follow along. I wonder if there's anything in your life that you've had to see to be able to believe or to experience to be able to believe it. You think of anything, Peter? Anything you've ever had to see to believe? <laughs> this wasn't planned. Yep, lots of things, yeah. So one, one thing that comes to mind when I think about things that I had to experience to, to be able to believe, uh, last May, my family, well, I bought a, uh, a tandem bicycle, a, a bicycle built for two. And so the, the tandem bicycle is a hoot. And when you ride in the front, the person that rides in the front is called the captain, and I am the captain. And so I have always been the captain of the, of the tandem, and then the person who sits in the back is the stoker. And the stoker has always been either my wife or my older daughter, and they're great stokers. They, they just pedal right along. You can really feel their, their oomph back there. It's great. For the person riding in the front, for the captain of a, of a tandem, it's just like riding a bike. It's, it's kind of no big deal. You feel, I mean, obviously there's a little bit different swing to it. It's a little bit longer. Of course, that back wheel is about twice as far back. And so it's, uh, it's different, but it's not, it's not radically different. And so my wife, when she's on the back of the tandem, will occasionally say like uh, she's scared. And I think, well, we're just riding a bicycle here. How can it be? It's not that bad. It's not that big a deal. I'm sure that she's just sort of being, being scared right? Uh, my daughter rarely complains, but, you know, she's a little more adventurous, though she has complained, especially that time that I tried to ride with no hands on the tandem. She didn't like that at all, and we almost went, uh, went down that time. So I, I'd just been experiencing the front of the tandem. I had been the captain. I had, I had no idea what it was like to be the stoker until a few weeks ago, uh, Alyssa's brother, our brother, my brother-in-law, visited from, from Mississippi, and while he was here, we thought, what better thing to do than go for a family bike ride? And we have enough bikes to, to loan one out. If somebody sits on the tandem, we had enough bikes to outfit everybody in the family with bikes, and we, we went for, for a bike ride down here on the, on the levee, and we were having a great old time, and I was captaining the tandem, as I normally do, and, and Alyssa and our daughter were taking turns being the stoker, and then, and then my brother-in-law looked at it, and he said, what's that like? What's, what's it like to ride it? And I said, I, this is a great opportunity. I've never ridden on the back of the tandem. I think this is the day that I find out what it is to be the stoker on the, on the tandem. And so my brother-in-law got in, in front, and I, I loaded up on the back, and I was just sure that it was going to be there's going to be no problem, right? You, you just, it's riding a bicycle, for heaven's sake. And so he, uh, he, he got ready, and I, I was sitting on the, on the stoker seat, ready to, ready to ride. And, uh, and he started to take off. And, it, and as soon as his foot left the ground, and he started to pedal, I've never been more sure that I'm going to die on a bicycle <laughs> than in that moment. That, that was the most terrifying moment 
I can remember in a long, long time. And, and uh, he, he kept trying to ride, and I kept sure I was going to fall off. And we, we eventually got it figured out. We rode the, like three quarters of a mile, and we turned around, and he said, I think you better be in front of this thing. And, uh, and so I, I rode us back, and uh, I came back telling my wife, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I had no idea. I have so much respect for you for being willing to sit on the back of this thing when I'm just going wherever I want to, trying to ride with no hands. Because you, you have to see it to believe it. You have to experience it to believe it. I was talking to, to my girls about this, uh, this kind of thing. I, I was saying I, I don't like to watch movies. And this is a crazy thing. Like, I am just, I, it is so hard for me to motivate myself to watch movies. And my family will attest that I am a terrible movie watcher. I just, I never, and, and the crazy, so there are several movies right now that are on my list that I would really like to watch. And people have told me, they're so good, you gotta see them. And I'm sure they are, but I just, I just can't. And, and my problem is that I'm not a discerning movie watcher. I like everything I see. And for some reason, I just can't convince myself that, to watch a movie. Like, and then when I finally do, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I finally did that because I, you know, I just won't believe it until, until I see it. I was talking to my girls. They were saying they're the same way with board games. They're the same way with like any card game or board game. I, I like to try to teach them new card games or new board games and they're always kind of skeptical. And then it turns out, except for with Monopoly, they pretty much like any game that they play. And, uh, and so we, uh, we, we have these things. What, what about you? Is there, is there anything you think of that like you didn't think you were going to like it, you really ended, up, really ended up liking it? Pastor Ryan, is there anything that you can think of that, like, you, you've drawn a blank. You like everything, and you want to try everything. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Anybody, any of the teens, you have any ideas? Anything? Axe throwing. Yeah, I don't know if I would like throwing axes with you, Jordan. Uh, uh, roller coasters, yeah, yeah. You look at them, and you're like, I don't know, and then you do it, and it's, that was so much fun, Yeah. Uh, over the past week, I've been looking at this, this week in the life of Jesus, this week that we call Holy Week. It encompasses so much of the human experience. Last week, I talked about what a, a good faith, a good Friday, no, last week, I was on Sunday still. Uh, last week, I talked about what a, a Palm Sunday faith looks like. And I talk about, about Palm Sunday, the, the day that Jesus' disciples claimed victory for Jesus before he did, and they claimed a victory that Jesus was never actually going to claim. Jesus, we, we celebrated last week the, the event that we call the triumphal entry, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. The triumphal entry, the idea of a triumphal entry, triumphal entries in general, were, were not unique in, in those days. In the first century, uh, conquering warrior kings would enter into cities with their armies and the spoils of their victory, and, and they would ride into town to be celebrated by everybody in the city. It, Jesus sort of turns the imagery of the typical triumphal entry on his head when instead of riding in on a war horse, he rode into Jerusalem on a, on a humble donkey. 
and, and a borrowed donkey at that. Jesus, Jesus turns the imagery upside down. Uh, Jesus did that to, to fulfill what had been written about him hundreds of years earlier, that the king of Israel would come humble and riding on a donkey. Jesus also ignored the convention of the conquering kings that would enter into cities triumphantly because usually they would bring before them in, in the procession leading them into a city would be animals that would be offered for sacrifice. Jesus didn't take any offers, but he did go straight to the temple where, where Jesus presented himself and, and he, we know that he would then offer himself as a sacrifice to God. And the, the crowds that celebrated Jesus, that were coronating him that day, they conveniently ignored all of the ways that Jesus was changing the imagery of the triumphal entry. He, he, they, the, the crowds tried to turn Jesus into a hero and a conqueror, where Jesus came very clearly during the course of that week saying, I came not to be, not to be served, but to serve and to give myself as a ransom for many it was true that Jesus came as a king, but he came as a king unlike the people ever expected. And so a Palm Sunday faith, it, it comes claiming victory for our side, even when, when Jesus isn't claiming triumph. Uh, Palm Sunday faith wraps Jesus around our causes, uh, regardless of, of what Jesus may have said in the Bible about our, our particular causes, regardless of how Jesus has acted in history is recorded in scripture. And it, and it claims that because Jesus is on our side, it, it puts Jesus on our side, whether, whether Jesus could be forced onto our side or not, it claims that Jesus is on our side and therefore we must win, right? If Jesus is on our side. Palm Sunday faith, though, it, it, celebrates, it celebrates before any adversity has been faced. And that's really the, the, the crux of, of Palm Sunday faith and the, the problem. It, it says everything is always great, and it fails to recognize that Jesus began this week in celebration, but he began a week that would take him to the cross. And then to get to the cross, we came back together on Friday this week, and, and we were here on Good Friday talking about a Good Friday faith. Good, on Good Friday, the disciples who were supposed to be the greatest believers and the most faithful friends of Jesus, they turned tail and ran. They, they were nowhere to be found on Good Friday. The Gospel of Matthew tells us how the disciples, they, they began in the garden on Thursday night when Jesus was arrested fighting for Jesus. They, they were willing to fight for Jesus, but when Jesus put a stop to that, they scattered. Jesus tells the disciples, don't, don't fight. And all of a sudden, they start to think about their own safety. It's a little silly that they would be willing to fight. They're hardly an army, and they're willing to fight against the Roman Empire. Uh, that, that seems pretty risky. But when Jesus says, I don't want you to fight for me, they realize that Jesus is passively going to allow himself to be arrested. The disciples are not interested in, in that. That is not going to bring them the kind of glory that, that they think they've signed up for in following Jesus. And so on Good Friday, the only people who speak the truth about Jesus do it with mockery in their voices. It's the, it's the soldiers who beat Jesus and mock him uh, saying true things about him, but not believing it because he's been arrested. It's the, the other criminals on the cross 
who hurl insults at Jesus. It's the religious leaders who, who say, he healed so many people, why doesn't he heal himself? Why doesn't he save himself? And beyond those unusual suspects who spoke the truth about Jesus, on Good Friday, you have these incredible testimonies about Jesus from the rocks who split themselves, fulfilling what Jesus said on, on Palm Sunday, that if human voices don't cry out, the very rocks will. You, you have the sun that blots itself out on Good Friday. And you have the, the veil of the temple that is torn when Jesus gave his last breath. And then you have these lowly women who won't let the danger of supporting a convicted criminal keep them away from Jesus's cross. Uh, they, they won't let the mockery that is surely due them keep them far from Jesus, even while he suffers. And then it's Joseph of Arimathea who claims Jesus's body in the end. Joseph is so unknown to the other disciples that even the women who are willing to risk quite a bit for Jesus in that moment, they don't, they don't approach Joseph. They stay away and they watch from a distance what he does with Jesus's body. See, Good Friday faith, though, it follows the way the disciples, when it says all is lost. If Jesus can't escape suffering, there is no hope. What's the point? And Good, faith, Good Friday faith lingers in the beatings, and it stares with fascination at the depths of human darkness, and it just sort of shrugs and said, yeah, I guess that's the way it always is. Good Friday faith ends Jesus's story on Friday, and it never recovers. And to be honest, people don't usually get, get uh, spend too much time on Good Friday faith. If, if we can't get beyond the darkness and, and we can't get to, to God's goodness, we, we tend to lose faith completely. Or we, we find a way to, to get beyond it and, and, and our faith grows. There's only a handful of people that get stuck on Good Friday. We, we all know people who get stuck on, on Good Friday and good news is bad news. I mean, it's good to get bad news, right? Like they just expect defeat. Uh, they appreciate the, the confirmation of bad news. Uh, they believe that the light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train. But people who show up to, to church on Easter, you don't want to get stuck on, on Friday. <laughs> you, you, want to, you want to get to today. You want to experience what is an Easter faith. And to talk about an Easter faith, we got to get to the story. And so here's the story as Matthew tells it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. We read these words. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his, clothes, his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. The angel spoke to the women, "'Don't be afraid,' he said." I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. 
And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of them to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. I'm, I'm always interested for like the little details that, that we might miss in, in stories like this. I, I'm, I'm really, I, I love angels when they appear in the Bible. I don't know what to make of angels in the Bible, but I love how angels, every time angels appear, the first words out of their mouth are, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just chill out. It's okay. I know this is scary. Uh, and, you know, we kind of think if I saw an angel, I'd probably be all right right? Like I'd probably, I probably, I could handle it maybe, maybe. The Roman soldiers, the Romans, these are men who are trained and ready for like hand-to-hand combat. The sight of the angel, <laughs> it's the sight, the angel doesn't hit them. The angel doesn't like lash out at them. They just, the angel moves the stone away and he sits on it. And just that much is enough to cause these dudes that were surely a little braver than me, they, they fell over in a dead faint. Um, the, you know, fainting is not a strategy of Roman soldiers. Like, they, they are not fainting goats here. This is, these are like, this is incredible, right? This is, this is pretty incredible that the Roman soldiers, their one defense tactic is to lay there like slugs. Like they've got nothing when they see the angel. And then I'm, I'm just really interested in this passage. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Like the, we, we see all that happens at the tomb. Uh, I mean, Matthew, maybe he doesn't, he doesn't tell the detail of Jesus walking out when nobody saw it. But it sounds as if the women are there when the angel showed up. And the angel rolls away the tomb, the, the, uh, the, the stone, the, the soldiers drop on the ground, and, uh, and then the angel's talking to him, and Jesus' body is not in the tomb. Jesus doesn't walk out of the tomb. He, the angel says, he ain't here. And, and so I'm just, I'm very curious about that. So I'm, I'm kind of crowdsourcing this one because it's still just a question. If you, if you have an idea about like where Jesus is in this moment, I'd be glad to hear that. So please, please tell me. Uh, if you have some ideas. And, and we might get clues from other gospels, but that's just a, that's an interesting one to me. As I thought through the details of this story, though, and, and thought about what Matthew might really want us to pick up as we, as we read his gospel and as we try to understand the story that he's telling us, I, there's, there's a, a thing that I, I, I think Matthew might have wanted us to catch that between the beginning of Matthew and the, the story of Jesus coming to earth and, and being born, the Christmas story that, that Matthew tells, and, and this story of Jesus coming back to life from the dead, 
there, there are some points of, of real symmetry. There, there, there are connections between these two stories that I, I think maybe Matthew would hope that, that we would catch. Uh, I, I think he would want us to, to see the angel's announcement and the frustration of the Roman Empire, like Rome is right there in it in, in both the Christmas story in Matthew and, and right here as the guards faint. Um, and, and then the other thing that's really cool and, and striking is the way the announcement comes to women. Um, you know, we, women in the first century, women in the first century were, were not valued in, in society. They were not equals with men. In fact, women in the first century, they, they wouldn't have been allowed to testify in court because they weren't considered trustworthy. It's kind of a hilarious thing to think that men would be and women wouldn't be to me. But anyway, uh, women, women really were only deemed significant based on their relationship to men in, in the first century. And, and so it's in this culture that God chose to reveal the two most important events in all of human history, first to women. God, God chooses women first in that, in that very culture where women are not deemed trustworthy. And, and I mean, Christmas, maybe you give Christmas a pass, right? I mean, Mary, she kind of had to know before everybody else, right? It would have been hard for, for the Lord to like appear to Joseph without Mary knowing. And, you know, that would have been weird. So, I mean, maybe Christmas, we can give, we can give Christmas a pass. But here we are on the resurrection of, of the Lord from the dead. Like, think about God has unlimited creativity and unlimited resources. So God could have, like, made it, made it very clear that Jesus died on the cross and there's a whole big crowd around them and everybody says, yep, he's dead. And then he could have come back to life. Well, like right there in front of a big crowd of people or this is God. God could have had the Roman emperor, emperor Caesar, like standing outside of the tomb and, and could have, you know, God could have done that. This is God. It's, it's God's deal. God could have done whatever, whatever would have been most convincing to the most people in the world. And, and God, with unlimited resources, unlimited creativity, chooses women who wouldn't be allowed to testify in court if they were asked to. And, and it makes me kind of like scratch my head a, a little bit. Like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't God choose like the most trustworthy person in the world? Like, why wouldn't God choose to do it on a big screen? Like, why didn't, why didn't God wait until now, until we had live streaming? Like, you can see this service anywhere in the world right now. And like, why didn't God wait until there was that, right? Uh, cable TV, all of the news cameras right there in, in the moment. Why, why does God choose two women alone? Not even the Roman soldiers can testify to it because they fell over in a faint. And I have one idea, and it's, I don't know if it's the best idea, but it's, it's, it's one idea that that I have. And, and the reason that I have is, is kind of simple. I, I think God chose these women because they were there. They were there. It, it, and and it's, it's about more than just being at the right place at the right time. It's that these women, 
these women showed up when they thought that all was lost. The disciples, the disciples had sequestered themselves in a locked room. The disciples had cut themselves off from the rest of the world. They, they were in no way going to, to risk themselves by going out, especially to Jesus' tomb. And with hopes pretty much dashed, the women show up. They, they weren't there to claim victory. They were, they were just going to the tomb for the sake of giving Jesus a proper burial. I think God honors faithfulness to Jesus in moments like that. I think God loves it when his children are tempted to believe that all is lost and still show up to see to see Jesus. I think I think God loves it when when people are convinced that that they, the hope they had is gone. But still, they're going to show up and try to find Jesus. God honors the heart that's, that's willing to give, to give this amazing truth about Jesus a chance. Because these women were willing to show up when everybody else had run and hid. Jesus says, these two are going to be the first to know. The women are uh, pretty, pretty shocked by the announcement of the angels, pretty, pretty scared by it, and, but they, they run away. They run, they, they obey what the, what the angel told them to do. The angel said, go and tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee. And so he, they, they started to go to the to the disciples, and, and as they are headed to the disciples, Jesus greets them on the way. And, and the, the text says that uh, Jesus' first words are, don't be afraid. Again, it's don't be afraid. It's amazing to me. They, they run to Jesus, and they don't dare put their arms around him. What do they do? They go, they go to his feet. They get down and, and they, they get down at his feet. <laughs> they grab his feet and they, they begin to worship him. I, I've never been so excited to see someone that I bowed down at their feet. I've been really excited to see Alyssa on a couple of occasions, but I've wanted to give her a hug or tell her to start taking care of our daughters. Um, <laughs> I've never, never worked, I've, I've been tempted. Uh, I, I think the idea of, of their going to Jesus' feet, grasping him by the, the feet, it, it speaks to the reverence with which they felt for Jesus in that moment. Um, these women were witnesses at, at Jesus' cross. They, they saw what Jesus looked like after he had been beaten. 
they were, they were standing there the last time that Jesus had enough strength in his body to lift his weight, to get a gulp of air before crucifixion would suffocate him. And when, when these women, they, they worship him, it's, it's just, I think it's because of the improbability of, of Jesus going from what they saw on Friday to walking around on Sunday. They worshiped because the only appropriate response was worship. They, they knew that Jesus wasn't just a healer in this moment. And they had seen Jesus do some pretty spectacular things, but this was different. He, he wasn't just a good teacher. And teachers, good teachers come a dime a dozen. This is, we don't bow at the feet of teachers. Jesus wasn't just a good guy. That's, they don't, you don't bow to the feet of a, of a good guy. When, when they saw Jesus walking on Sunday morning, they did what comes naturally to a person who comes face to face with God. They worshiped. And this is another connection point between the story of Jesus' birth and the story of Jesus' resurrection. Because in both stories, we are reminded that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. There's no explanation for, for how Jesus could get out of the grave on Easter other than to admit this is God. In the Christmas story, it's the unlikely first visitors to the Christ child, shepherds. Uh, another class of people who nobody trusted in the first century. Um, the shepherds come and they see baby Jesus and ever, after having heard the angels announce it and seeing everything just the way the angels said, they worshiped God. They worshiped the child. The women here on Easter morning who, according to their culture, were undeserving as the first witnesses. They bow and they worship. It reminds me of another story in the life of Jesus when people felt compelled to worship him. In Matthew chapter 17, there's a story of Jesus going up onto a mountaintop with three of his followers. And the, Matthew 17 says that he was transfigured. That just means his appearance changed. His clothes gleamed white a cloud descended from, from heaven and it, and it covered over the mountaintop and a voice boomed out of the heavens and said, this is my son. Um, the disciples who were, who were right there were immediately moved to worship. They wanted to worship Jesus. They couldn't really help themselves. And as the, that experience was ending, as the, as the four of them were walking down off the mountain, Jesus says this really weird thing. He, he looks at the three disciples that were with him and he said, hey, you know, don't tell anybody that that just happened until after I've raised from the dead. Let's just keep that between us until after I've raised from the dead, okay? And it, it makes you kind of wonder, why? Why? Why, would, 
Why would Jesus not want these men to say, you should have seen what we just saw? Because I'm sure they wanted to, right? If we were there, we would want to, to tell everybody. I, I don't think that it's that Jesus was trying to deprive the disciples of some joy or some honor. I, I think it's that until, until Jesus is raised from the dead, and really until they were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the disciples' experience of Jesus was not complete. It wasn't, it wasn't the total experience. They had heard God's voice boom out of the clouds, but that was just hearing it. As the disciples would continue to walk with Jesus, and especially as they would receive the Spirit of God in them, that's the moment that, that all of the hearing about Jesus would turn into truth, and they would experience it on a whole new level. It, 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 it would have become very much real. See, the Christian life, like so many things that in this world, you can, you can hear about it. I can tell you about Christianity until I'm blue in the face. <laughs> but until you decide to, to take a step of faith, to accept that Jesus is God, that, that Jesus died and rose for you, it will never make sense. This is what Easter faith is. Easter faith shows up at the tomb on Sunday morning because we love Jesus. It's faith that sits on the back seat of a, two, a bicycle built for two and says, Jesus, I'll trust you. I'll let you take the captain's seat. I'll be honest, there's so much about the Christian faith that I didn't understand and haven't understood because I didn't experience it. I, I grew up hearing about how you can have joy and peace in the Lord. And I, I believed it, and I had a very happy and good upbringing in the church. But then God said, Paul, I want you to be a pastor. And I said, okay. And I drove across the country to a school I had only seen in promotional brochures. And in those first few months of, of being there, the joy of the Lord made sense in a whole new way. So the Lord just repeated over and over again, yes, this, this is what I have created you to do. I've had brief moments of understanding the love of God. Brief moments where the, the Spirit of God has been at work in me enough to put the needs of others ahead of my own. I wish they would happen more frequently. But I've had those brief moments where, where God has filled my heart so much by seeing the good things that happen to other people, by, by serving other people. And I've experienced just just a brief taste of what God's love is really like. And I didn't know how God could be a comfort in times of trouble until our family was struck by crisis and tragedy. And as, as we turned to God in that time, 
we discovered the truth of the psalm that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will comfort me. Today, I'd guess that there are people here who have heard about placing your trust in Jesus. The Christianity stuff, it's interesting. It's, it's intriguing. It's, uh, you've heard it. You kind of understand it. Um, but maybe you're, you're not sure if you've taken a step of, of really putting it into practice. I'd ask you to, to just be willing to believe, to be willing to believe that uh, if, if you take a step of faith and admit that Jesus is God and is your God, and if you, and if you would have faith and, and let Jesus take you where Jesus will take you, that it will make a difference in your life like nothing else you can do. Jesus will get to surprise you. There will be some, some great surprises along the way and there will be some shocking days that you don't know if you can make it. It'll, it'll mean that, that Jesus will get to call the shots though. That you'll return to him faithfully even, even on those days when you're shocked and you don't know if you can make it. But it'll mean that your life won't be the same. There, there are lots of folks in this room who, who know that truth, who will tell you that it, it's worth it. It's more than worth it. Today by day, let Jesus take control. Today by day, trust Jesus when you feel like you're out of, out of balance and, and you're, you're not making it in the right direction and you're going to fall over to just keep trusting Jesus. Trust that he's faithful. Trust that, that his plan is a good plan for you. Trust that he is taking you in the right direction for your life. But you won't know until you try. And the way we, we start is through simple prayer. We just talk to God. So will you, will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that we celebrate today. The world has never been the same since Jesus came out of the grave. It is a turning point in history. Because what began today, Lord, when Jesus came out of, this, of his grave was a, was a truth, <laughs> was, was hope for humanity unlike anything that had ever been expressed before. We've heard that story a lot. Many of us can, can recite it backward and forward. We've heard a lot about how Jesus changed the world. We've heard a lot about the great things that Jesus can do. God, today, rather than hearing about it, we would like to experience it. We would like to really be able to believe it and to know it because we have taken a step of faith to trust Jesus. So this morning, Lord, we, 
we say, if Jesus can, can do anything with this life, he is welcome. We, we often identify with those ladies at the tomb who weren't trusted by their, by their community. We identify with, with the folks that showed up at Jesus' uh, manger on that first Christmas. That people look at, at them and thought nothing could come of them. But we recognize, God, that you choose to use people who are willing to just show up and to trust Jesus regardless of the circumstances. And so, Lord, here we are. We're here, we're in this place because we think that maybe Jesus could do something in us. And Lord, we, we want to experience the power of Jesus moving in our lives. We want to experience the wholeness, the restoration from the broken places in our lives. We want to experience forgiveness where we need forgiven. We want to experience the joy that comes only from following Jesus. We thank you, God, because you are so faithful. When, when we say yes to Jesus, you move in, Lord, with the power of your spirit, and you direct us and you guide us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us strength to do just that right now, to trust in Jesus with all of our hearts, that you would give us reminders each day this week to continue trusting in him, to keep putting our faith in him, to keep walking with him, letting him guide our steps. And thank you for, for your spirit that will guide us in this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the First Mass Podcast. We love to see you in person next Sunday, so come and join us at 1700 8th Street in Lewiston.